welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and superfans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week we are discussing I slept with someone in Fallout Boy and all I got was this stupid song written about me. I slept with someone in Get Out of Town Boy and all I got was a stupid song written about me. It's the 19th <laughs> episode of season three. I should also let I should also note that I slept with someone in Fallout Shelter and all I got was a stupid song <laughs> written about me. Was written by William H. Brown. Also, I slept with someone in Freak Out Boy. And all I got was a stupid song written about me. Was directed by <laughs> Moira Kelly, a very familiar voice. And I got one more f- fun fact about this episode. I slept with someone in Fall Down Boy, and all I got was a stupid <laughs> song written about me. Originally aired on the WB on April 12th, 2006. Oh my God, Did I get I all the variations? So <laughs> <laughs> nice job. I'm giving you a. <laughs> A slow clap. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I'm honestly worried if this uh, episode title is going to fit in the podcast uh, title description. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, it's a long one. We may have to <laughs> condense it. <laughs> we'll figure that out when we upload it. <laughs> yep. Always and forever is spoiler free, but stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion. Somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better. And everything's safe. Lucas isn't ready to play in his first basketball game since Keith died, so the team decides to forfeit the game. Lucas contemplates the importance of the game in his life right now. Deb returns to Tree Hill and goes to see Karen to offer her support, but Karen doesn't want anything to do with Deb. She's angry that Deb tried to kill Dan, which led to Lucas going into a burning building to save him. In other news, Hot Uncle Cooper is also back in Tree Hill. Woo! <laughs> we got Deb Bro, and we got Hot Uncle Cooper. There's just, like, sex all around in this episode. It's great. <laughs> Brooke posts old pictures of Rachel around town, and Mouth becomes very upset by this and takes them all down. Rachel admits to Mouth that she got a lot of plastic surgery, which gave her self-esteem she didn't have before. Mouth tells her that he could have loved the girl in the picture, and they share a kiss. Later, Mouth goes to Rachel's house with flowers, but finds her with Cooper. Nathan and Haley have to take a test in order to get married on church grounds, but the pastor tells them that they failed it and are incompatible. Nathan reacts by describing his love for Haley and saying that no test could ever prove it, which allows them to pass the quote-unquote real test. Lucas confesses to Whitey, Nathan, and Karen that he does in fact have HCM. After hearing this news, Karen goes to Deb and admits that she does need help. Pete's manager calls Peyton and tells her that a plane ticket to Chicago is waiting for her at the airport so that she can come visit Pete. Peyton wonders if she should go or not. But later, we see Peyton at the airport, but it's the scene, Jake, motherfucking Jagalski, and Jenny. Updating my new hot dad fantasy on my closet door, I'm Caitlin Illinich. <laughs> and enjoying a hot 1 a.m. breakfast from Hot Uncle Cooper, I am Jeremy Rodriguez. Both of us were kind of on the same wavelength here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> as far as, like, the daddy issues are concerned. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love the callback to the door. You know, I love that. <laughs>
And I, and I love how um Kevin Klein like delivers that line too because it's not creepy. I feel like this could have been creepy if it was like any like lesser actor, but he's just like, listen, like you know, we have to set some boundaries here, girl. Like this isn't. <laughs> You can't do this. (laughs) I know. I have the exact quote if you want me to read it. (laughs) Oh, please do. Do do this now. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Now that you're living here, let's just assume you're going to find a new hot dad fantasy. All right? Thank you very much. (laughs) Good night, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) And two of them are so embarrassed by it. It's so cute. I love it. (laughs) I love it so much, too. It's adorable. But anyway, let's uh, get into this song. I slept with someone from Freak Out Boy, and all I got was a stupid <laughs> song written about me. Um, <laughs> this title's weird. I mean, for one that we can think literally, like, oh, it's literally about Peyton, like, having a relationship with someone from Fall Out Boy, but I tried to look at it in a more metaphorical sense with the title. I think it's basically saying, like, I went through all this trouble just to get this hand that I'm dealt. Because we see Lucas, like, going through all the trouble with basketball and whatnot, and then he realizes, like, okay, maybe I actually should quit basketball. Maybe this isn't the game for me. We see Mouth realize that he went through all this trouble with Rachel, only to not get her, which is a... I know that's a problematic message. I'm not leaning into that. I'm just saying, like, surface level. That's what I think. So that's as far as the title is concerned. As far as the song is concerned, I feel like it was mostly about just finding a safe space... And I saw that with Lucas finally coming to Karen, saying that, hey, I need you now more than ever. We also see that happen with Peyton when she sought out Jake. And then we saw it with uh, Deborah themselves when Karen finally admits to Deb that, like, hey, I need all the help I can get. So those are all the interpretations I got. Okay, so you're looking at the lyrics, find a safe place, brace yourself, bite your lips. Yes. That, Mm -hmm. That verse. I was looking at the line. Well, first off, this song is just like quintessential mid-2000s emo. <laughs> I love it so much. Was this song ever a single? I didn't, I, I had to look into it. Like, was this song like actually no, like a... I don't think this song was ever a single. But it's super emo and it's like so specific to that era. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I know basically all the lyrics to this song. Like, as soon as it comes on, that whole album, honestly, I know, like, all the lyrics to all the songs. And I cannot listen to them for, like, a long time. And then I play one of them and it just, like, comes back to you. Isn't it wild how it works like that? Mm-hmm. With music? Um, I was looking at the one section. Douse yourself in cheap perfume. It's so fitting. So fitting of the way you are. You can't cover it up. I was kind of really wondering what what exactly that meant. And almost, it's almost like if this song is really referring to like Peyton, it's kind of insulting a little bit. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I kind of like, I kind of like thought about uh, flipping that that a little bit, saying like, touch yourself in cheap perfume. Like, hey, like, you know, be yourself. Like, you know, like do whatever you want. Like be your little bad self. That's how I personally took it. But, But who knows what the intention was behind the original lyric. I like that. I like that take. Yeah, but what do you what do you think though? Otherwise, this song, like I don't know, it's a little tricky for me. I think the title, like you said, it relates more to it than I feel like the lyrics do necessarily. Like I definitely see what you're saying about um, like finding that safe place, and I think that's a good good part to like hone in on with this song. Yeah. But but the title of the song, like if we're gonna take it literally. Peyton actually never slept with Pete 
I don't think, right? Or did she? Yeah. Or I mean, did she? Did she? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think we ever get specifications as far as that's concerned. I know. But well, I, what I, I like was your... Like, oh, sorry. What I want to know, though, is the song and the uh, title itself, though. Like what, like, what does the title actually have to do with the song that we got? I know. It, it doesn't really have anything to do with it. I guess they use this title to show that, like, this is really Pete's last episode. Like, we're not going to see him again <laughs> at this point. <laughs> because right, right. the episode ends with her seeing Jake. So, like, she clearly made the decision that, you know, she didn't want to go see Pete. Yeah. No, I can't. I'm not even talking about, like, the narrative of, like, the episode itself. I'm talking about, like, you know, like, what the, like, the actual song itself. Like, why did Fall Apple like, title the song? I don't, I don't think any of the their song titles, a lot of, <laughs> at least a lot of the times, really, truly relate to the I have, content I, I have of the no song. Idea. <laughs> you know Fall Out Boy better than I do, especially around this era. So. Yeah. I don't know. This song, like, this kind of stumps me. Like, I don't really, I just don't see a huge connection. I think you yeah. said it best, Jeremy. So oh, cool, cool. <laughs> sh- sh- shall we move on to talk about the episode proper, though? <laughs> Yeah, that's my favorite part anyway. <laughs> so we're, we're getting into the Caitlin's Lit Crit segment. Again, two episodes in a row. I know, wow. right? So we have a George Eliot quote, which I did a little digging. It's from a novel called Adam Bede. I'll, let me first read the quote, and then I'll share a little bit like the context in that story. There is no despair so absolute as that which comes with the first moments of our first great sorrow. When we have not yet known what it is to have suffered and healed, to have despaired and recovered hope. So the original novel is about, well, a lot of it's about like a love triangle between various characters. And two of the characters uh, were involved. And um, one receives a letter from the other. And basically in that letter, a person tells her that, they can no longer be together. And this quote comes right after receiving that letter where she is feeling this great sorrow, which is described in the quote, trying to like move on from this and deal with, you know, being broken up with basically. Yeah. And so I think the quote is pretty straightforward. Would you say that too? I think so. It's kind of like saying like hindsight as a 2020, like, you know, when you first experience despair, it's going to be hard, but in time, you will essentially heal, and I think we are starting to see the beginning of that with a lot of these characters, specifically Lucas and Karen, I should say. Oh, for sure. And I think, like, what the quote points out is that in the very beginning, when you first, like, are going through something, it's going to feel even worse because you don't know what's to come. You don't know what healing feels like. You don't have hope at that point. And initially... When Lucas and Karen, you know, find out that Keith died, they're going to feel that. As anyone who experiences grief, like the beginning of that and processing everything has got to be the toughest time. So, yeah, I think I think it is really straightforward and it works with what the characters are dealing with. I also think I kind of wonder if this also has to do knowing what happens at the end of the episode it has to do with Lucas grieving basketball, too. Like, he's yeah. losing that in this episode. So I feel like the quote could kind of connect to that, too. Yeah. 
I never actually, like, really interpreted Lucas as, like, grieving the loss of basketball, honestly. Yeah. I always thought he was just sort of, like, letting go because he finally realizes that the game actually doesn't matter anymore. And we'll get into some of the conversations he has throughout the episode. Like, you know, like the conversation he had with Whitey and whatnot, but... I think it's complex, personally. He wonders about basketball in this episode and whether it's worth it. Because, like, his his perspective has changed now. And, you know, losing Keith has, has shifted that. So he really knows what's important. And I guess with his medical condition, he doesn't want to risk his life anymore. I mean, I think it's just another way to show that life is, you get one shot. You know, it, life is important. And Lucas, ultimately, his life is more important than playing the game. Right, right. So I think there is a level of grief, but it might be a little bit of a stretch for me to say that. It connects to the quote, but it was a thought. Yeah. No, I I mean, I can say it. Like, you know, you can feel multiple things at once, but uh, let's, uh, I mean, I guess the best thing to do is just to get started on this whole journey that Lucas goes through. Um, When Lucas uh, puts on his uh, jersey for the first game, this is the first game, by the way, in six episodes of One Tree Hill. It's a long time. <laughs> it's been a while since we had basketball. Granted, I know we didn't have basketball for the entirety of season two, but whatever. This this season was much more, like, heavy with basketball, so it was like, oh, really? It's been a little bit of a while uh, since we had a basketball game. But Lucas puts on the jersey, and then he tells Whitey, I can't play. And then um, Whitey tries to get some another player to step in, and then Nathan says, no, we're all in this together. And then Nathan's forfeit the game. To be honest, I think that was a really drastic move. Like, I understand I they want to show solidarity, but they were already wearing black jerseys with KS on on the front. Yeah. So, like, I feel like that was honoring Keith, and I don't think forfeiting the game, like, was really necessary. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that. On that related note, too, though, I think this is the first time in a long time in which we've seen Lucas wear a jersey with Scott on the back of his jersey. Really? I don't think I've paid attention. Yeah, because, I mean, I remember there was, like, that big spectacle in season one when he took it off, yeah. but, like, I don't, like, I haven't really been paying attention to season three. Um, But, like, I'm, I'm not sure if he actually has his last name, like, listed on his jersey, but he, you know, I feel like it would be appropriate if he put it on his jersey for this game because it was a tribute of his uncle in that regard. Yeah. So, that's interesting. That was just a thought I had. That is a good point. I don't, I don't know. But, but yeah, like, that's a good point, though, about that they were already paying tribute to Keith, and then they just completely forfeit the game, and they don't play the game in his honor. Like, it's fine if Lucas wants to sit out. Yeah, absolutely. And he's not ready yet, but I don't know why. I don't really understand the reasoning of Nathan and Whitey even agreeing to that. Yeah, and I also kind of feel like it sets a bad precedent, too, because... Like, who knows, like, some other, like, team member on the team, like, you know, like, everybody's going to go through a hard time, and is everybody going to always stand in solidarity for every single person who is having a hard time on the team? Like, like, there will probably be future games in which, like, a team player will have a family member who dies, whether it's through gun violence or any other type of, like, you know, drastic situation. So, (laughs) I just feel like it really sets a bad precedent. Yeah, I I don't understand it at all. I don't. I don't agree with it. Yeah, it works for TV and like this grand, like you know, storytelling way. Like it's sweet, but 
I'm really not a fan. Although Nathan does walk up to Lucas and says, hey, we can't keep doing this. But then I found that kind of weird because I'm like, well, Lucas didn't ask you to do this, Nathan. So why are you saying that? I know. He was saying, yeah, he, w- he was saying, like, we can't keep doing this forever. <laughs> basically. But he was saying it nicely. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't being mean or anything like that. It was just, it was a weird fucking thing to say. Really strange. They should have just let Lucas, you know, walk off and that's that. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's kind of sounded like there were other games, but he wasn't part of them anyway. Yeah. And Nathan says, we can't forfeit the season. And it's like, again, nobody is asking you to do this. <laughs> and it just seemed kind of like putting the blame on Lucas. Like, hey, Lucas, you're you're grieving right now. And like, you know, you we shouldn't forfeit the game because of you. But like, you didn't have to do this. And Lucas is appreciative, but he never once asked anybody to do this for him. OTV. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> for sure. But right after the game, this is when we see Rachel walk out. We see her looking at a bulletin with older pictures of herself where she doesn't really like the way that she looks. And it says something along the lines on the on the poster. It says something along the lines of, guess who? Find out soon. And Rachel is very, very hurt by this. And, and we talked about and. We talked about this in the spoiler segment, I should say, in the last episode. But the fact that Brooke is, like, doing, going out of her way to really shame Rachel is really wrong. It does not equal the crime of Rachel embarrassing Brooke by telling a small group of friends that, like, oh, Brooke was caught brooking herself. Yeah, this is more public. And Rachel knew right away that Brooke did it because she knew those photos were in the closet that, or the Mm -hmm. drawer. That Rachel had said, stay out of. Yeah, it's really, ugh, it's just, it's not Brooke. It's not Brooke at all. Yeah, and she had about Shrek and at Karen's Cafe, too. If you call that line, and she when she's explaining herself the mouth. I'm like, Brooke, this is so wrong in so many different ways. And I like what Mouth said to Brooke when he confronted her. He's like, didn't you learn anything from Jimmy? Which he has such a good point, because... Like, they just recovered or are in the process of recovering from this trauma that just happened basically because Jimmy was bullied. And now Brooke's going to do a very similar thing to Rachel. And I know Rachel has been really bad to Brooke. She has. Because the things that Brooke listed when she was talking to Mouth, she, like, rattled off several things that, that Rachel's done to her. But, like, this is just a different level. For sure, yeah. And it's been a while since, like, Rachel has done something like this, too. Like, and God, like, l- well, let's no, argue. it's not, it hasn't been that long. The whole tricking Peyton to go into Lucas's bed in... Oh, true. Three, I was, that was, yeah. um, 3.14. Okay. It's, 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 been, it's been a little while, then. And I was about to say that, technically, this is the last bad thing that Rachel did to Brooke. But I was going to say the uh, the previous thing that she did was, like, oh my god, she signed Brooke up for Rogue Vogue. How bad of her. Yeah, that <laughs> was also that- in 314 of, of, well, not, she did that prior to it, but yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, the whole thing, like... She signed Brooke up for a fashion competition that, that happened to fall the same week on a cheerleading competition. Like, wh- whatever. Like, all, all Rachel is going to have is a cheerleading squad. She's not going to have a fashion line. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, 
it just this seems very very vicious for brooke to do yeah it's really out of brooke's character and i know sophia and drama queens didn't like the storyline at all and i think they said mm-hmm. the same thing that it just was not like brooke at all yeah absolutely um well let's talk a little bit about how like rachel saw herself so we find out that Rachel admits about that she had her stomach stapled, and that she starved herself for months, and then rewarded herself with a nose job, fake breasts, and a couple of other things. Uh, this, her, all of her interactions with mouth are kind of icky, and I don't think I even realized this until the drama queens pointed it out. It's it's the whole thing about how like mouth is saying like, oh, I always thought you were beautiful, so you should see yourself as beautiful. What exactly is wrong with that, though? I mean, just because I feel like, yeah, Rachel should have, like, her own, she should have her own sense of self-worth. And for the record, like, I think, you know, getting plastic surgery or whatever, like, you know, you do whatever you want to to make you feel better and whatnot. There is absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with that. But it's just the fact that, like, you know, she doesn't see herself as beautiful and now she feels like she has more worth because of this. And, um... What am I trying to say here? So, uh, (laughs) my question is, what... Why is Mouth wrong for saying that to her? I'm not saying Mouth is necessarily wrong for saying that to her, but I feel like this could have been like a uh, a bigger storyline for for Rachel to see her own inner beauty and see her own beauty in general. Mouth didn't necessarily have to project that onto her. So I think, yeah, I agree. If you want to do get plastic surgery, fine. But the way Rachel, like, she just kind of quickly just lists everything and says, I did this, this, and this. And she says it so casually. Like, it's not a big deal, which it kind of is. She's also a teenager. Yeah, there's that liar, for sure. She explains all of the work that she's gotten done to mouth. And then she's like, well, I have more self-confidence than I ever had before. Which, I guess, I mean, you're only going to get plastic surgery to you know, give yourself more self-confidence. I don't know. I don't know why else you would get it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, other than for that reason. I don't know. It's kind of a, it's kind of a touchy thing. And is this episode supposed to be shaming people not to get plastic surgery? Like, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what the message is as I'm thinking more deeply about it. I, I don't. Yeah. Because like, I, I don't know. I thought what Mouth said is like, what he said I thought was fine. That, you know, he said you're, you're always beautiful. Like, that girl is beautiful, but you're beautiful now. It has nothing to do with, like, you know, how much you weigh or anything like that. You're always yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I thought that was a nice supportive thing because there was no judgment coming from Mouth. You know, yeah, that was great. I feel like the story could have been different. It could have easily been different where the person was judging right away. Mm-hmm. But they chose not to do that. And instead, Mouth was just supporting her and. You know, telling her she was beautiful no matter what. And I don't know. I feel like he was being a friend in that moment. Yeah. And and maybe like, you know, with, with the narrative itself, like it's great. But we also have to take into account the behind the scenes issues, too. Because we know now the creator of the show had a crush on Daniil. Mm-hmm. And Mouth is an extension of him. So, like, put the, he's basically like putting himself in Mouth's shoes. Yeah. And, you know, trying to say these things to, to uh, Daniil. Yeah, and that's it's, creepy. It's very, very icky when you think about that. And then at the end, like, I feel like Rachel is sort of positioned as, like, the villain because, like, oh my god, she never gave him the time of day. 
because you know she has like she has a guy in her house you know yeah where the storyline heads you know they have that kiss they have a nice moment together and it really it makes Mal think that like Rachel has kind of maybe changed how she feels about him it's pretty clear that Mal how he feels about her yeah (laughs) and Rachel knows it oh and then she's with Cooper and he brings the full Mouth brings the flowers. It is heartbreaking, yeah. really. I, I really felt for Mouth. But, it is but sad, when we're thinking but... about the context, the behind the scenes context, it's just like, oh my God, roll your mm. eyes type thing. But yeah. Oh, yeah. But for absolutely. the character Mouth, I really did feel for him. Oh, yeah. I can see that. Like, that is like a sad experience to go through. So I feel like, ugh, it, it's, like it's just kind of sad. Like, it's one of those things where you have to, like, think of death of the author in this regard. Yeah. Because and it's so hard to, like, separate, like, my feelings from, like, what went on behind the scenes and, like, what is being presented to me. And it's just, it's very icky when you do know. Also, during that kiss, I want to know, there is a flyer uh, that's handed on the wall behind them. It's for a science fair. You know, the date of that science fair? April 22nd, 2006. <laughs> so, if, if that's, I don't know if, like, you know, they're advertising a fair of, like, that's taking place, like, eight months from now or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Plus. Oh man, they really got there. Ooh, okay. Time has been in the tree hill, take a drink. <laughs> we, we, we talked about it. Honestly. Also, can we just talk about the whole thing about how, like, Rachel tells Mouth, like, come on, tell me something, Mouth. If you could snap your fingers and look like Lucas, would you? I mean, sure you would. And don't say you want it because you'd be lying. And I'm like, yeah, because Mouth is so hideously ugly, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so comments like that, that are in a script about a real, like, I know it's about a character, but it's also about a real person. Yeah. And it's really Mm -hmm. offensive. And I can think of so many times where, like, the ugly person, quote unquote, in the script, like, another character has to basically call them ugly in so many words. Mm-hmm. And I always, like, I'm so offended by it. I'm like, what did this actor actually think when they're called that even though it's, I know it's writing in a script, but still, they look how they look. I, I, I find it so offensive that that can even happen. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's just really weird when you actually have somebody who is like, I, I get like Lee Norris is, is an attractive guy too, and it is. I feel like it's really offensive when there actually is like good-looking people who are being called ugly. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like these storylines should exist because we need representation for it. But like, you know. I feel like, I, I know me, like, when I saw this as a teen, and I'm saying, like, oh, Lee Norris is considered, like, the ugly guy, and I'm like, oh, look at me. Like, I, you know, I, I internalize some shit about this, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's definitely not good for a show for teens, either. Ugh, yeah. And it just goes back to, like, you know, how um how they talked about Glenda in the audio commentary for 316. How they said, like, well, like, you know, we should bring her back because body positivity is a really important thing. It's like, no, this is well-intentioned, but not good. Oh, my God. Yeah. Listen to our episode on 316 if you haven't already in regard to that, but that's a whole can of worms right there. But anyway, are we ready to talk about uh, Nathan Haley's test? Yeah, so apparently they picked a wedding venue already. (laughs) They were just engaged in the previous episode, and now they already have a wedding venue. (laughs) But they have to take a test first. It's like an actual written test that the pastor or whoever then goes and grades. <laughs> and they're basically told that they're incompatible. 
And then Nathan tells them, like, oh, did you ever... When, when did you realize that you wanted to be a priest? And blah, blah, blah. He's like, you know what? Like, you know, you love God just like I love Haley. Blah, blah, blah. This storyline is really dumb. <laughs> yeah, it is. I don't even really have much to say about it. <laughs> I don't either. It's just... It just seemed like they're trying to give something for Nathan and Haley to do in this episode. <laughs> yeah, like, why was this even necessary? You know, it could have totally been taken out. They didn't need to have this. Right. I did like the moment when uh, they were in bed together, though. And Haley is basically telling Nathan, like, you know, like, I don't really need a wedding. I had my dream wedding. I like seeing that. Yeah. I don't know. That was that was really cute. But speaking of that scene where they are in bed together, can we talk about some of the more excited things that happened from that scene onward? Well, suddenly they hear a noise. <laughs> yes. And... Real quickly, I remember the promos for this episode really hyped up that particular scene. I kind of vaguely like, remember this. <laughs> like, they should be, like, like, like uh, I forget what they say, but they say something like, a disturbance arrives. <laughs> and, then, and then Nathan's like, hold on, hold on, let me check. And then we see him with the baseball bat. And then we see him, like, uh, you know, turn the light on real quickly. And then it cuts. And then you have to wait until the actual episode airs to find out, like, who is Nathan even the baseball bat at? These promos are so corny, but I wish they had them on on streaming. I know. You can find them on YouTube. You can find, like, a good collection of them on YouTube, and they are hilarious. Like, there's just such, like, a a moment in time. So dramatic. They're hilarious. Um, Also, there's, if you watch the gag reel on the season three DVDs, there's a moment where James Lafferty picks up the bat and he says, It's okay. I'm Batman. (laughs) (laughs) It's really endearing, and that, that lives rent-free in my head. I think about it all the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> but anyway, um, Nathan does turn on the light, though, and who does he see, Caitlin? Hot Uncle Cooper. <laughs> oh, boy. And he is looking really, really good with his skin-tight, short-sleeve button-up shirt that cleans very tightly to his biceps. <laughs> yeah, the last time Uncle Cooper was was on One Tree Hill, you... <laughs> <laughs> you like described I feel like you I described did. in depth <laughs> I did and I wonder if I am being problematic for objectifying somebody but I'm just I'm such an appreciator of Michael Truco's body of work <laughs> like he's just so emphasis so, so on body <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, he just, he looks so good. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's I, an attractive I, guy. Mm-hmm. And he always, he always arrives, like, in the middle of the night. Didn't he break in last time? He It wasn't the middle of the night. It was early morning oh, okay. last time. And it was the same thing. Like, how much for that wall over there? Which, I gotta say, why is that little mural with, like, P- Haley's face painted over? Why is that still there? Why is that still there in the apartment? The pink thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That means it was still there the entire time, but like when she was living with Brooke. (laughs) Why? I can't. I I don't know. It's a good question. But anyway, um, Haley comes out and she's like, you know, she's a little bit shy. And maybe I'm like hardcore projected, but it really seems like Joy is like checking out Michael Truco during this whole breakfast scene. And again, maybe it's because I am also checking out Michael Truco (laughs) and I'm just like, you know, putting myself in her shoes. Like, I don't know. She just seems very, very giddy. <laughs> well, 
he is attractive. But that is her family now, so. <laughs> yes. Not by blood. I know, I know. <laughs> but anyway, enough about hot people. Um, We'll probably get into that anyway, regardless. Uh, during this whole breakfast scene, which is taking place at 1 a.m., I'm assuming Cooper's hungover. Because that's the only reason why he wants, like, you know, food at this late hour. Um, We find out that he's dating a girl. She's 26. She's a model. She's housing for her parents. And we don't know who this girl is. Until the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so they feed us that little tidbit for the big reveal later. Yeah. Um. I also want to talk about... uh. Uh, Cooper's uh, pep talk that he gives to Lucas as well. Are we ready? Are we ready to talk about that? Is this a good organic time? Yeah, I was gonna bring that up next too. Cool, please let's talk about it. Feel free. I thought it was interesting that they paired these two characters together. Well, first off, Cooper had just met Lucas back in season two for the race car episode, so it's interesting to me that like he would come back to Tree Hill and automatically go to Lucas to give him that talk. But basically, yeah. um, he was saying how, well, Cooper was saying that he can no longer race cars. Yeah. I forgot about this detail, honestly. I don't even know if this was like a detail that occurred. Yeah, I don't know if I knew that either. So I guess because of the whole, because of Nathan's crash? Yeah, he did say that for sure. He said things got pretty dark there after Nathan crashed the car. So then um, he just wasn't allowed to do it anymore, or... He chose not to? Chose to give Could it up? Could have been a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's, that's an interesting turn of events. But basically, Cooper was relating that to, like, Lucas and basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's what Lucas is com- contemplating about this entire episode. He talks yeah. to various people to try to, you know, figure out, is it worth it if he plays basketball anymore? I, th- I think the overall, like, arc of Cooper, though, is that he learned that he can be happy. And that's what he tells Lucas. It's not what you do in life that matters, Luke. It's about who you are. Yeah. And I think that was really important for um, for Lucas to hear. Definitely. I thought that was a good message. But Cooper is not the only person who returns to Tree Hill. Your favorite. <laughs> yes, Deb. Deb. She is a sight for sore eyes. I miss And Deb. it's really sad when she goes to the front of Karen's cafe. She sees that it's closed. And you also notice there's a pile of newspapers that are all rolled up, implying that it's been a, it's been a minute since Karen has been to work or has opened the cafe. And it's so wild to me that Deb didn't come back for Keith's funeral. Like, I understand it had to do with, like, including an actress. Like, it had to do with, like, either Barbara Allen Wood's schedule or... You know, the showrunners not wanting to, like, pay another actress for an episode, which is more likely what it was. That's probably what it was, to be honest. Because she wasn't, like, fully, like, there really wasn't much of a story for her there. I can see that. But, like, it is kind of wild that she wouldn't have been at Keith's funeral. Mm-hmm. But Karen confronts Deb about trying to kill Dan. And because she's upset that Lucas tried to save him. And Karen tells Deb, the only difference between you and Jimmy Edwards is that he was successful. And that's where that scene ends right there. Yeah, that's that's rough. And all Deb wanted to do is really offer her support. I understand... I only... Really only to an extent do I understand Karen 
Karen's anger in this moment. Like, I, th- I feel like it's just another example of what, what she's been doing in the past few episodes is, like, putting her frustration and anger and grief out on other people. Where doesn't, That's why I smile. Yeah. She's putting it on other people <laughs> because she doesn't know where to put it at all. I think it's just so much for her. Yeah. Can we talk about the moment where she uh, slaps Whitey as well? I know, and I loved Whitey's response. He's like, I'm glad to see you're still in there. <laughs> right, exactly. That's a good Whitey response. Um, and so no, like the reason why she slapped him was because uh, because Whitey says, like, Karen, I know how you feel. And then, and then Karen's like, you had Camilla for a lifetime. I only had Keith for a few weeks. And then Whitey's like, whose fault was that? And then she slapped him. While I don't think you should have said that, it's true what he said. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Because... But don't say that she, in this moment. I mean, know? her response saying, like, you had Camilla for a lifetime and I had Keith for a few months or weeks or whatever. I, I don't know. Like, that also, that response is just like, okay, you, you really could have had Keith longer, but... <laughs> it's it's also just a rough thing to say because we all know people grieve differently yeah. so, so it's like it's kind of like judging people for I, I I'm not a fan but I I have a lot of space for Karen now because she's not thinking clearly she is oh, like yeah. so hurt right now so I try I, I try not to judge her too much at all I agree I have space for her as you should um but why he also kind of points out that like she's like more or less that she's neglecting Lucas because she feels so guilty for everything that went on with uh, her and Keith. And she tries to tell Karen, like, Lucas needs you. And I feel like that also got through to her as well. Yeah, and and he was also saying that, like, she doesn't need to feel guilt because she gave Keith everything that he ever wanted, which was Lucas. It's, It's, like, a lot to process, but I think that was good advice. It's true. Like, even if... Karen didn't want a relationship for the majority of Keith's life. She still was able to give Keith a son, which is a pretty important yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, Lucas meant so much to Keith. So it was pretty powerful. I feel like this episode, there are just these little, like, little scenes, but they're they're pretty impactful. And there's good pieces of advice. There's little moments here and there that are pretty yeah. okay with this episode. Um moments that don't really necessarily work for me um and i'm about to talk about lucas and what propels him to confess to everybody about his hcm now lucas asks whitey why this game matters because until he gets a reason he doesn't think he can play and this is when whitey talks about um how for the first time in history back in the 1950s there were mixed teams with black and white players and this is how he actually got his name his he gets his nickname of whitey because one of the players said i'll take whitey which is cute but i don't understand the purpose of this story like what it's great but for one thing i don't like the idea of like a white guy explaining this story for one thing um and also like i you notice there's like quite a few like black players in the scene too, and they're all extras, but the focus isn't on them at all. Yeah, I did notice that. They're just in the background. Yeah, so it just it, it seems kind of weird. So like you try to relate the story about like a about a white guy and his HCM. So I'm not really sure what Lucas was supposed to learn from this particular story. So I think Whitey's story is basically showing how like two teams integrated 
And that changed, like, the course of... I don't I don't know, because Whitey says, like, it changed everything, which I don't really know exactly what that means, that it changed everything from then on I mean, out. it changed everything as far as, like, you know, diversity and inclusion is concerned. Yeah. It's like, it's, it, it's great, like, on its surface level, but I just don't understand the point of it for this story about, let's face it, it's about white people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I'm not saying the story doesn't have value. Like, it, it's very beautiful to see, like, uh, you know, these themes integrated and whatnot. And I don't really understand, like, what the lesson is for Lucas here. And then at the end, Whitey says, let the game heal you, Lucas. Come back to us, son. So I guess it was supposed to show, like, his story was supposed to show how, like, the integration of these two teams, the black team and the white team, you know, being integrated, that kind of healed maybe the community. Okay. It's a stretch, though. Do you see what I'm trying to say, though? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it healed the community, but then I feel like L- Lucas ends up realizing, like, you know what? G- like, a game isn't going to heal me, which maybe that is the point of it. The game isn't going to heal Lucas in, in some transcendental way, like it did in the 1950s. You know, it is going to heal him in a transcendental way. It's going to be going to a doctor, get medication. It's just such a different, like, the com- comparing the two things, like Lucas and the HCM and then these two teams back, you know, decades ago. Yeah, it is a bit of a stretch. I don't think it <laughs> fully connects. It's different for One Tree Hill to include a story like this. I feel like we've never gotten a story like this in the show. Uh, yeah, like and a- to hear, like, the um, origin of Whitey's name, to me, it is interesting. I wish more, I don't know, I wish we kind of got more from this. Yeah, same. I feel like it would have it should have been like much more intentional though, because like I said, it's uh, it, it's very interesting to have. I think we have one black player that actually speaks lines or that scene, <laughs> and, and like I feel like they were trying to show that by like, look, see, we have we have black players on this team. Look, we have black people on our show, and when we all know we talked about this time and time again. One Tree Hill could have done so so much more for diversity and inclusion, and they just really didn't. Yeah, I know. We've talked about that before. I don't, so, I don't really have I don't, much more to say about this. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't either. But listeners, like, if you have, like, some type of analysis, like, please, like, send us an email, alwaysothpod at gmail.com. Um, I would particularly like to hear from, like, you know, some of our, you know, some of our black and indigenous listeners for this, too. Like, uh, you know, was there, like, something that made you feel particularly seen by this storyline because i just don't think it really works for lucas's arc like i don't think it's a it doesn't make sense for me i yeah i'm just gonna repeat what i said i think it is a bit of a stretch connecting the two (laughs) doesn't really doesn't really like i guess add anything overall to the story but Whitey does have a conversation with Zeb, which I think this actually does kind of add something. Uh, Zeb tells Lucas that, like, the scariest thing that could ever happen to a mother is potentially losing their child. And she's connected to the time when she lost him in that race car, when she almost lost him in that race car crash. And I think that also got through to Lucas as well. So I think Zeb and Cooper both got through to Lucas in varying ways. But maybe, like, what Lucas was supposed to get from Whitey is that... Oh, the game actually doesn't matter for me personally. It does matter for other people, but it, it's not going to matter for me. What I need is medical treatment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how he, like, 
his journey in this episode, honestly. Because it is quite a journey in this episode. Like, he's going around yeah. to various people and getting wisdom from them. Yeah, what ultimately made him change or decide? I think you're right. I think it was more so Deb and Cooper. and But I think in addition to that, everything that's been going on with Keith. And I think his grief is a big part of it. And just, like, being reminded that life is precious... And this ultimately leads him to confess to Whitey and Nathan about his HCM. And that's what he says, like, you know, this conversation was hard, but the next one I am going to have is going to be even harder. Ugh, that line always gets me because it's so true. And then, and then we see him go tell Karen, which we'll yeah. get to in a little bit. But Is in Nakoda. But on a lighter note, quote unquote, I, I guess, <laughs> let's talk about... Uh, Peyton's romance with Pete from Fallout Shelter. So, at one point early in the episode, Pete apparently shows up outside randomly, and Peyton's about to go down, but her dad sent him away. And then later on, like, they're, I think they're talking, maybe missing each other, I think, on the phone. Like, there's clearly, like, a disconnect here. And then Peyton gets a call from. Pete's manager. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> what are you giggling for? Because the voice. <laughs> yeah. I recognize the voice too. Yeah. It was like, no. The, the reason why we're throwing shade, listeners, that is the voice of the aforementioned uh, series creator of the show. Yeah. I think the drama queens even said they cringed. Yeah. They, no, it's like a jump it. scare for yeah. sure. So, um,. Peyton has a ticket to Chicago waiting for her at the airport so she can go see Mm -hmm. Pete. So now she has to decide if she wants to do that or not. And then Larry, her dad, actually gives a really nice speech about, you know, when she chooses someone to be with and how important that is. Um, I'll I'll read exactly what what he said. Just promise me one thing. Promise me when you pick the boy you're really going to be with that he'll be someone who respects you and treats you well, and that it's someone who makes your heart race, and he's someone who you love because of what he is, not what he does. Because that's how I felt about your mother, and that's how I want you to feel one day. Use your head and follow your heart. This is another example of, like, the another scene in this episode that gives, like, wisdom from one character to the next. Yeah. There's some I, I don't love this episode, but there are some pretty good moments like that littered throughout. It's like, it doesn't fall completely yeah. flat for me. So you know that Peyton was, like, that made her think. And I won't say anything more. <laughs> <laughs> because now we are getting to the coda to We Belong Together by Gavin, Gravin? Gravin. <laughs> Gavin's a girl. <laughs> And it kicks it kicks off like right at the end of that scene with Peyton's room. Uh, Peyton is looking at her Fallout Boy poster, so she's clearly contemplating things to do. What should she do next? And then we're at Naley's apartment, and this is where Nathan and Haley talk about Lucas's HCM. And Haley admits that she already knew. And then Haley proposes that they don't have sex until their wedding night, which is kind of funny. <laughs> But then they end up, or we can presume that they do have sex right after saying that. We'll just start it tomorrow. That's how I'd feel, too. I was like, 
because Nathan starts to kiss her yeah. and like, can I still do this? Can I do this? Like this was this was cute. I liked yeah, it. it and then we get uh we go to Lucas and Karen's house. And then this is when Lucas walks through the door and tells Karen about his heart condition and that he needs Karen now more than ever. And they both cry and they hug each other. And I really, the one thing I gotta say about this particular scene, like, being used for, like, a romantic song, I love that it's uh, a mother-son moment. Oh, that's a good point. Because it doesn't, you know, we belong together. It doesn't have to be about romantic love. It can be about, like, you know, just, like, familial love. Because Karen sure. and Lucas do belong together. And I, yeah, instance. and they have been, they really have been separated the past few episodes because of all that's coming and going on, and they're just grieving in different ways. So it was very interesting to see this juxtaposed with, like, otherwise, quote-unquote, romantic moments with, like, a bunch of other characters. Huh. I didn't think about that, but it's a really good point. And then we are at Rachel's house, where you see Mouth walking up to her door with flowers. And Rachel opens the door, and then soon after that, the big reveal that Hot Uncle Cooper is there with Rachel. (gasps) Oh my. And I know this is supposed to be like a big, like, heartbreaking moment for Mouth because Cooper walks up and he says, like, Oh, you got flowers. Who are they from? And that is devastating. It really, really is. Because, like, you know, it's, you know, he's kind of like downplaying Mouth's role, saying, like, Oh, like, you know, who would be sending you flowers? Even though Cooper is unintentionally, I feel like, hurt Mouth. But I'm so distracted by seeing Cooper shirtless that, like, I don't care <laughs> enough. Can we also talk about how Rachel's not 26? Oh yeah, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure that'd be the first words out of your mouth. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, I am so distracted by the fact that like we get to see Michael Truco with his shirt off that I completely forgot that there's like so many other layers that are happening here. So yeah, the 26 year old model that Cooper says he's dated is obviously Rachel. So there's something going on here. Oh boy, yeah, that's quite a twist. I remember watching this for the first time and being like, oh, damn. This was a spoiler that got leaked, actually, and it turned out to be true. Really? Okay. Yeah. If you recall, I had a friend um, yeah. that I talked about in the previous episode who would always, like, spoil shit for me because she always read the leaks. But yeah, this leak turned out to be very, very true. Gotcha. So I wasn't surprised. So I just got the focus on seeing hot Uncle Cooper with a shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, then we go to the airports, and we see Peyton is heading somewhere. I wonder where that is. I don't know. What happens next? And then we're at Karen's cafe, and this is where Karen enters the cafe and goes up to Deb and says that she's going to need help. And, and then Deb says, I know. Good. Oh, I was going to say it. <laughs> yeah, go, go ahead. I was just like, I was getting excited. <laughs> and then Deb says, good. Because you're going to get it. And, oh, here's another moment, too. Like, we got to see Karen and Lucas, like, you know, talk about their love. And <laughs> <laughs> and the irony of this is that I'm like, oh, we get to see it with friendship, too. But even though, like, we know Karen and Deb are a couple. <laughs> you're too much. You really are. I can't. So, okay, so, <laughs> correction. Like, all of these storylines are about romantic love, except for... Karen and Lucas. And yes, that includes Karen and Zeb. Deborah was back together. They are going to work together, and it is beautiful. We need some friendship representation in here, though. We're doing mother and no, son. 
we're doing um no, we significant don't. others. No, that's no, fine. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. This is good. We we have some we have Deborah in here. We're good. We're perfect. We're awesome. <laughs> okay. But one of my personal favorite moments, and Jenna Lenskold, I'm thinking this is one of your favorite moments as well. We're at the airport, and then all of a sudden, it, it cuts to Peyton's Fall Out Boy poster, and then we see Peyton smile at the airport, and then we see people part, like a big crowd part, and holy shit, it's Jake Chigalski, and then it cuts to Peyton's Fall Out Boy poster, and then the camera moves to Peyton's drawing of Jake and baby Jenny, and then, holy shit, Peyton looks down at the ground, and little Jenny is walking! That's so great. And walks right to Peyton. <laughs> walks right to Peyton. Peyton picks her up and then they have this little cute reunion. And th- this moment always shocks me, even though every time I watch it, I know it's coming. <laughs> I know. It's a good reveal. Because you are not expecting that at all. Mm-hmm. Although this was also leaked for me as well. <laughs> are you serious? I am serious. Although, also, if you watch the beginning of the episode, though, when you see the credits, you'll see Brian Greenberg's name for, like, the guest stars. So okay. you will also get that spoiled if you are yeah, paying attention. You, okay, true. That can, that can <laughs> be a spoiler in itself, that's for sure. It really is. If you know the actors' names, like, this could spoil the fuck out of it for you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really liked it. This is Brian Greenberg coming off of his, like, big movie career, like, from filming movies with uh, Meryl Streep and Uma Thurman and whatnot. <laughs> Wow. You yeah, you definitely just do not see this coming and it's it's such a good twist. Mm-hmm. It really is. And you're happy to see them like all hugging each other with baby Jenny and it's just like adorable. Yep. These two are together again. And she chose Jake over Pete from Fall Out Boy, which honestly, I do the same thing. Oh yeah, for sure. Bye Pete. See ya. <laughs> All right, what was your favorite quote from this episode? So I loved um, Larry's funny quote about the closet door and the hot dad fantasy, (laughs) which I shared earlier. I won't read it again. And then my honorable mention is Larry's serious quote when he's talking to Peyton about love and relationships. Oh, okay. Yeah, my favorite quote was from Hot Uncle Cooper when he says to Lucas. I'll say it again because it's short. It's not what you do in life that matters, Luke. It's about who you are. Yeah, that's a really good one, too. And I feel like that's a good thesis statement for the episode overall. Definitely. So my musical moment is, of course, We Belong Together by Gavin DeGraw, which is the code. Same. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautifully well done. I also loved, as an honorable mention, the song at the very beginning of the episode, when they forfeit the basketball game, trained by Flipside. I don't know, there was, a, there was like mm. a good energy to that song, and I always had that song on my um my playlists. Like when I hear it, I feel like I'm pumped up. <laughs> I don't know. That was a good moment, yeah. That was like a pretty fiery song. Yeah, it was. Um, and it, it's kind of like a contrast to what goes on, too, I think, because, you know, it's like high energy. Yeah, they're back in the game. Just kidding. They're not going back. They're not back in the game anymore. Yep. Um. But yeah, as we were saying, there are a few moments throughout the episode that are pretty impactful, but overall the episode is just okay to me. So that's why I give it three out of five plane tickets to visit Jake and Jenny. I was between a three and a four, and I think I'm going to go with four out of five black jerseys for Keith. Aw, sweet. I think it's a decent episode. I like some of the twists in here. Like the Jake reveal is exciting at the end. While the hot Uncle Cooper um, 
thing with Rachel is problematic, which we'll we'll go into (laughs) in future episodes. But uh, it was an interesting twist that you really were not expecting at all. Yes. And I liked, like we said, there were different tidbits, like little scenes scattered throughout the episode that really had some like memorable quotes. So that's why I give it a four out of five. Interesting twists and good quotes. I fail you. I fail you. Wonder what's going to happen next. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AlwaysOTHpod. You can also email us at AlwaysOTHpod at gmail.com. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez, and you can find me on Twitter at RodriguezJeremy. And I'm Caitlin Illinich, and you can find me on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans new and old find us. You can also support us via Patreon, where for as low as $2 a month, you can gain access to bonus content, our private Discord server where you can chat with us and other listeners, and early episode releases. Visit patreon.com slash alwaysothpod for more information. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. This is your last reminder to turn off the podcast if you do not want spoilers. Ooh, the elephant in the room that is Rachel and Cooper. Oh, Rachel and Cooper. And I did look this up, actually. Um, Their relationship is legal in North Carolina. You're not considered an adult until you're 18, but you actually can, like, have sex, like, with, like, somebody um, older at the age of 16. I should flip that, actually. The adults, the older adult, can have sex with somebody 16 or older without breaking the law. Interesting. Not saying that's okay. No. (laughs) I don't think... And... Me saying it's an interesting twist, it was meaning it was like totally unexpected. And I didn't mm. know where this was going to go. Um, but yeah, I definitely don't agree with. And Cooper, as, as we, you know, as we progress into later episodes, I can't remember which one. He doesn't, once he finds out that she's actually 17, 17 he doesn't want to be with her anymore. So like, that's interesting to me because like he thought. In this situation, he thought she was 26 because she lied to him. So does that make what he did wrong? I don't think so because he didn't know. Yeah, it's not. I mean, you know, like law, you know, law aside, he didn't break the law. Um, But it was more so like about like, you know, his own morals. Yeah. Like, you know, because it's in the next episode actually where he says, no, in order to be with me, you got to be a hell of a lot older than that. Yeah. So. But then yeah. he sleeps with her again because she tempts him. She tabs him, but still, like he could have, he could have easily said no. Yeah, I mean that's the way the scene is written: is she quote unquote tempts him. Yeah, which again, like we know the show, like if it's you know it's all about evil titties sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, Rachel Rachel tempted Cooper with her evil titties. How dare she? So like she's portrayed as a villain, but I really do like Rachel's arc from these uh from these next few episodes though because she's very very hurt by that about how like cooper essentially ghosts her yeah 
And we get to see a side of Rachel that we didn't get to see to her from her mm-hmm. before. I know. We get to see a level of vulnerability that we have not seen from Rachel yet. Which makes the whole thing about her trying to steal Nathan and whatnot, like, it just makes it not ring true to her character and, like, what she went through here. I'm not a... Yeah, I don't like how it went that way with the whole Nathan thing. That was weird. Yeah. I like the altered storylines that uh, the drama queens came up with. They said, like, what if, like, Rachel genuinely did fall for Nathan in, like, a Stockholm... Not Stockholm Syndrome. What's that whole thing when, like, uh, when you fall in love with somebody who rescues you? There's a word for that. I don't know. Okay, but whatever. You know, when you fall in love with a person who, like, rescues you, that's that's like a psychological thing that your brain can happen. And it might not even be necessarily real. You know, um, that would have been interesting to say. Are you talking about hero worship syndrome? Yes. <laughs> Which is what we talked about with Gavi. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. That is our, the second part of our discussion on 316, if you want to go listen to that. Um, but yeah, that would have been much more interesting to say. But instead, we just get Rachel being like, I just want to I just want to make out with Nathan. I would never sleep with Nathan. We just make out a lot. To me, that storyline has always been, like, a stretch. Like, it just didn't feel authentic. And it didn't feel like that actually would have happened. Yeah, it seems like in season four, they just reboot Rachel entirely, and they start her from, from scratch all over again. Yeah, that's a good point. They do. Which doesn't really work for me, honestly. And, and her arc in season four, like, like if you take that as, like, one character, like, her arc from se- for the entirety of season four, that is very interesting. Because we see her, like, we see her fuck up every now and then. And then we see her, like, you know, do some good shit. And, and then we still see her get punished. And even though she was doing the right thing, like, that's interesting. But uh, it just, it, it's kind of a shame that, like... You know, some of these storylines from season three aren't necessarily incorporated into season four. It's like they forget them. Yeah, I never really thought about it, but she does kind of get totally revamped (laughs) in season four. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, her her character deserves better. And I feel like, you know, like, we love Rachel so much, like, as fans of the show. And I think at the end of the day, we do know that she deserves better. And that's why I feel like we are always going to bat for her we're always defending her you know i mean she's our favorite villainous vixen so yes she is always and forever (laughs) (laughs) um but one of my favorite couples maybe not your favorite couple jn and they jake and peyton do not last very long they last for a whole two episodes after this yeah i know i can't wait to talk about those episodes Honestly, because it it is nice to see Jake again. Like, seeing his face at the airport was really exciting. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, they they only have a short story arc. And Peyton realizes she's in love with Lucas, which is kind of wild that Jake is the one to make her realize that in the end. <laughs> it all kind of feels forced. I know that. Yeah. Oh, even you say that. Interesting. I've always kind of thought that. <laughs> it seemed forced. <laughs> I I feel like let's let's hold that conversation. <laughs> yeah, like I have like, like I have so many thoughts about the whole like you know Lucas of it all that happens in three twenty one that I feel like needs to be saved for us to organically talk yeah. about. Because let's hold off. I have like such like a. You know, I've always been a Bruca shipper. Nowadays, I 
don't necessarily feel that way anymore. But nowadays, I feel even less enthused about Lucas with Peyton. And those are things we can talk about as we get to those episodes. Oh, boy. Yeah. Don't um, break my heart. I know. I'm sorry. I'm going to give you some truths, though. That's what we do over here. But, yeah. But, Caitlin, it's been a, it's been a very great uh, Sunday evening recording with you. Yes, it has. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, we normally record on Sunday evenings, unless otherwise noted. So, that's all behind-the-scenes, you know, behind-the-scenes info. And I'm just saying, if you are listening to our episodes every single day, you're just getting an insight into our Sunday evenings together. So, you can basically say, every day is a <laughs> Sunday evening. That was actually an easier one for you to do, because we, it, it we actually record on Sunday evenings. <laughs> That is not, that is the truth. <laughs> For the most part, I think there was like one or two where we recorded on like a Tuesday or like a Saturday, yeah. but nine times out of the ten, we record on Sunday evenings. <laughs> but but yeah, Every Day is a Sunday Evening is also the title of Season 3, Episode 20, which we will be discussing next time. And taken from our OTH DVD box sets, the description reads, With Lucas off the team, the success or the failure of the Ravens falls on Nathan's shoulders. Peyton's reunion with Jake is bittersweet, and Mouth and Brooke plot payback against Rachel. We'll be seeing ya! We'll be seeing ya! (laughs) Oh, you did that fast! Okay, I'm proud of you! (laughs) I wasn't messing around today, Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) I adore it! (laughs)